welcome to the Serena and Tootie podcast. Today we're going to be covering chapters 200 until 212 of Jujutsu Kaisen. Things have been heating up and I've been waiting for the opportune moment to make another episode because I know I haven't talked about Jujutsu Kaisen in a while, but I was waiting until something big happened. And my gosh, was it huge. We've got Megami, Sukuna. Sukuna's taken over Megami. Angel has been knocked out. And Sumiki is no longer Sumiki, but instead has been supplanted by the sorcerer Yorozu. We are gearing up for some really interesting potential conflicts. So we think about it, we have Yorozu, who is in Sumiki's body, and we have Sukuna in Megami's body, and Yorozu has said that they want to fight Sukuna. So that would mean Megami, or, you know, the taken over by Sukuna, versus his own sister who's been taken over by Yorozu. So I think we could see Megami regaining some kind of control over Sukuna if those two were ever to face off. Because, of course, he wants to protect his sister at all costs. If Sukuna is about to fight uh, Yorozu, Sumiki, I think he would k- take over and try to save Sumiki or stop the fight. He'd, he'd hurt himself if he had to. And what is Sukuna going to do right now? What is his first order of business after taking over Megumi's body? I've heard some people say that they think that he's going to go ahead and kill Itadori. But I don't think Itadori, if he is going to die, I don't think he would die right here. And honestly, I think that what Sukuna should do is turn around and kill Angel. Because remember, Angel wanted to kill Sukuna, and Sukuna is seemingly afraid of Angel because of their ability to negate curse techniques. If Sukuna does not kill Angel, then how is Angel going to operate throughout the rest of the story? Because again, now we have so many of our good guy characters taken over by some really malicious forces. Hana, who shares a body with Megami, would never want to hurt him. But if Angel survives, they would want to get rid of Megami because he's been possessed by Sukuna. So what would happen there? Would Hana be able to fight back and have complete control over Angel? And honestly, I think that Hana is going to die at some point in the story just because those red flags of wanting to be a savior like Megumi definitely feels like we're setting up for Hana to die in some kind of sacrificial way. And what of Sumiki? Will Sumiki ever have control over her body again? In chapter 199, Angel doesn't say that it's impossible to revert a possessed player, just that it'd be very difficult. And that line alone made it clear to me that Sumiki most likely was possessed and not just had a uh, curse technique activated in her brain. I also wonder too, does Sumiki have some larger role in the story? Was she just supposed to be a distraction for Itadori and Megumi? Or does Kenjaku have some other plans for Sumiki slash Yorozu? Let's also talk about the new rules that have been implemented. A player can now leave the game by expending 100 points to invite a new player into the colony as a substitute. Now, of course, this rule was created in order to help Sumiki leave the game. But Sumiki, of course, slash Yorozu, has no intention of leaving the game, at least just yet. Do you think that Kenjaku had accounted for them making this rule? Because, of course, this rule isn't just going to affect them. Any of the other players can utilize this rule. And that could, of course, include some of the resurrected sorcerers. And then there's the rule that Sumiki created, allowing entry and exit across colony borders. 
Before, it was just people like Maki and Angel that could easily cross between colony borders, but now anyone can. Yorozu, after making this rule, saying, better to choose your own battleground, right? So it seems like they have an idea of what kind of territory they want to have their fight on. And Sumiki's character design, like the hair tendrils, always reminded me of like a beetle pincers. And we knew that Akutami loves insects. We see insects throughout the series. And I, I was like, you know what? I don't want to make any conclusions about that yet. But now we see her sprouting wings and I'm like, yeah, that was intentional. She looks like, oh, what are they? When the horned beetles or I forgot what stag beetle, that's the one. Stag beetles have the, the wings and similar pincer looking situation. And now let's talk about Itadori. Oh man, when he was talking about how grateful he was that he had a role to play, it was so sweet. Itadori for a long time has wanted to feel like his life meant something, that he'd be able to live with purpose and serve others because that was such a big part of what his grandfather taught him. And so here he was thinking about how he was going to have Angel kill him and that would get rid of Sukuna and then Angel would hopefully follow through on their deal with unlocking Gojo from his box. Let's remember Itadori's goals have been to do something that only he could do and that's why he wasn't really interested in doing all those different sports. He wanted to do something more special and that's what that opportunity with collecting Sukuna fingers and eating them and then dying with purpose would do and then secondly would be dying a good death. Hopefully surrounded by the people that love him like his grandfather wanted for him. And thirdly, was to help people, to help as many people as he could. And so just like we know in Jujutsu Kaisen, characters pretty much always die with some kind of regrets, right? We know our sorcerers are supposed to die with regrets. So Itadori not having any regrets is already a red flag that he's not going to just be able to pass on. He's not going to just be able to ask Angel to take him away and then free Gojo. It reminds me a bit of that scene with Nanami when he thinks he's going to die in Mahito's domain. He takes off his glasses and he's saying that he's, you know, has no regrets and that he's glad he helped people. You know, he thought about the the woman who worked at the bakery. And then in the moments before he actually died, we do see some regrets that he had. And so now with Sukuna removed from his body, how can he help? How can he serve? How can he die a good death? And now he might feel like his proximity to Megami has put him in more danger. And he's been wanting to protect Megami as well. Uh, it's just, it's really heartbreaking. We've had Itadori already say like, just die already. You know, questioning why is he still alive? What should he do? Is him being alive really worth all the lives that have been taken uh, because of Sukuna? And he, he internalizes all of that. He blames himself for whatever Sukuna has done. But you know what? A lot of times when Itadori is at a low point, one of his friends is able to step up and help push him forward. And you might be thinking, what friends? Everyone's gone, Megumi's Sukuna'd, and Gojo's in a box, and everyone else is missing limbs and isn't even in the game. But what if Nobara makes a return? If you know me, you know I love Nobara, and I've been waiting for her return. We haven't seen her in so long. Uh, around the same amount of time that we haven't seen Gojo, because... You know, she was taken out of the game shortly after he was boxed up. And no, I do not believe that she's dead. So many people want to write her off as dead, even though no one has said she's dead. They just talked about her being in critical or unstable condition, blah, blah, blah. If she was dead, they would just say it. They would just say it. 
And it's that little flashback that we got of her that was completely unnecessary. We did not need Itadori to say like, oh, Angel, I don't want Angel to take uh, Nobra's place. Like, no, we didn't need that. We didn't need a, almost a full page image of Nobra back on the screen. I think we're going to get her back. And you know what? I think that new rule of bringing in another player might be used to bring Nobra in. Just like how Ijichi was going to switch out for Sumiki, he might do that, but with Nobara instead. But not only would Nobara be a potential source of emotional stability, I think she could support in her ability to strike the soul with her nails, her special curse technique. We learn she has this technique during Shibuya when she is fighting the Mahito clone, and because she can strike the soul, she was hurting Mahito, who you can only hurt through damaging his soul. So while I don't think that Nobra is going to kill Kenjaku or Sukuna, I think she might be able to aid in harming their souls. Especially for thinking about the whole Megami Sukuna situation, she might be able to pinpoint just Sukuna's soul and harm that. And maybe in doing so, that would give Megami the chance to take control over himself, or maybe someone else can help separate him. Who knows? And if I can be a little bit more hopeful, we know that in Jujutsu Kaisen, we have these two-on-one battles all the time, right? There's one two-on-one that I really want to see. I need to see Nobra and Maki fighting together. Not just for a girl power moment, but because they both have these abilities that are able to damage the soul. Maki is able to cut through anything physical and get right to the soul. And so pairing that up with Nobra's ability to strike the soul... Who knows what they could accomplish, maybe even dealing severe damage to Kenjaku. And speaking of Kenjaku, why hasn't he started the merger? In chapter 211, there's a moment where Megumi says, I don't know why, maybe Kenjaku can't start the merger yet, or maybe he just doesn't feel like it. Hmm, I don't know about just doesn't feel like it. I think he's waiting for something to happen. One more piece needs to fall into place first. And that final piece most likely relates back to Sukuna. Kenjaku is aware of Uruume's plans of building a bath for Sukuna, so it seems like that may be a part of the plan. And what of this bath? What could the bath actually be? Now Sukuna has Megami's body, I don't think that that was in goal at all. I think he truly does want his full form, forearm, all of the fingers back Sukuna form, and first he needs Megami, and possibly he's going to summon Maharaga and take control of it. Back during the Shibuya arc, we had Maharaga up against Sukuna, and Sukuna was able to take down Maharaga, but with some difficulty. Maharaga is able to adapt to different attacks, so you have to try something new if you're going to attack it. But because it wasn't Megumi that slayed Maharaga, it was Sukuna, Megumi did not have control over Maharaga and Sukuna doesn't gain anything because he wasn't the Tin Shadow user who summoned it. But now he is Megami. He is the Tin Shadow user. So I think one of the first things we're going to see him do is summon Maharaga, defeat it, and use it for whatever he wants to. During their first meeting, Sukuna was so interested in Megami's usage of his summons. And now Sukuna is going to be able to use them however he pleases and experiment on his own. Besides Nobara, another character we're all waiting to see come back, of course, is Gojo. But at what cost? Because there's been a lot of foreshadowing that might lead us to believe 
that Gojo is going to have to fight Megami. How sick, how twisted would that be? Gojo saw Megami as the future of Jujutsu society. He believed in him so much and genuinely cared for him. He was a mentor. He's been by his side for 10 years. And of course, he helped finance anything that Megami or Sumiki would need. But unfortunately, okay, I love drama, so fortunately, but anyway, unfortunately, we know that Jujutsu Kaisen loves its tragedies. And a Sukuna versus Gojo has been foreshadowed since, what, like chapter 10? I, I don't know. But that whole moment where Gojo was saying, if Sukuna were able to completely regain his power, it might be a little tough. And Itadori says, would you lose? And of course, Gojo replies with, nah, I'd win. Oh, Gojo, you can never be cocky. <laughs> Something bad is always going to happen when you think you've got it all under control. And while at the moment Sukuna isn't in full form, he has access to the Ten Shadows. If we go back to that moment where Gojo is talking to Megumi during the flashback, he recounts the feud between the Zanin and Gojo clan. How a Ten Shadows technique user and a Limitless Curse technique user with six eyes, just like Gojo, went head to head. Gojo couldn't remember exactly when it happened, whether it was the Edo period or perhaps the Keicho period, but what we do know is they both killed each other during a fight before the aristocracy. So again, it seems like this is all pointing towards a Gojo versus Megami fight. Plus, we've seen little bits of artwork that seem to suggest that this might happen as well. And poor, poor Gojo. He's had to take the life of someone that he cared deeply for before with Ghetto. Gojo and Megami are similar in a couple of ways, and one of them is how they want to save or not take the life of people that they consider to be good people, even if them living might put the lives of other people at risk. With Gojo back when he was a teenager, he let Ghetto walk away, even though he had killed an entire village and said that he wanted to rid the world of non-sorcerers. And with Megami, he wanted Gojo to do everything that he could to save Itadori, even though it might put people's lives at risk, because of course he was possessed by Sukuna. So what will happen when Gojo, if Gojo, sees his student possessed by Sukuna and has to fight him? I just know Akutami's working on something that's going to absolutely shatter our hearts. Alright, I know I haven't talked about Yuki and Kinjaku and the Choso situation, so let's talk about that now. There are some deep roots between Kenjaku, Angel, and Sukuna. Back in episode 5 of my podcast, back when we were at chapter 199, I touched on this a bit, but now that we see even more evidence to all of them being connected, let's talk about it again. Angel refers to Sukuna as being the fallen, and that feels very Luciferian, and I don't like to talk about Christianity connected to Jujutsu Kaisen too much because I know JJK is so rooted in its Buddhism and in Eastern religions and culture. So I don't want to do it unless I feel like there's a really strong connection. And here, I definitely feel like that strong connection is there, especially since we have Angel, who is angelic, <laughs> very Christian, biblical type of reference. And even with this talk about Sukuna's bath, while it could also be related to something relating to Buddhism, because I've seen that discussed, I think it could also be a form of a baptism. Sukuna being reborn and cleansed in a way of his past. Back in chapter 208, 
Kenjaku remarks that Tengen looks like Sukuna. And yeah, they both have the double set of eyes, but of course, I think that they're connected in a deeper way. I don't think it's just that they physically look similar. I think he's remarking on how they are acting similar. Kenjaku is so wrong for this, but I had to remark on this. So after Yuki grabs his foot after, he thought he'd already killed her, right? He says, die already as a human. And that was him mocking her when she told Choso to live as a human. That's just... It's just so wrong. And so after Yuki uses her black hole technique and seemingly, seemingly dies, disappears, whatever, we see him approaching Tengen's body and he says, You have atoned for your tedious existence. Bye, friend. What I find interesting is that he doesn't say former friend or my old friend. He just says bye, friend. And that reminds me a bit of Gojo and how he never spoke about Ghetto being his friend in the past tense. And so maybe similarly to with Gojo and Ghetto, maybe Kenjaku never truly hated Tengen. Instead, maybe he just saw him getting in his way. They had opposing views. Let's go back even further and talk about our girl Yuki. Because I think there's a chance that she is not dead. I'll admit, it's not looking good. Not looking good. We got a black hole situation. How would she come back from that? And also, she got blasted in her core, which is where most sorcerers store their cursed energy. So it's not looking good, right? But I refuse to believe that they would take out a special grade sorcerer like this so quickly, especially since they established that she was a star plasma vessel. Why would they establish this and just do nothing with it? And secondly, no one has said that she is dead, and I can't help but feel like that's intentional. Whether the characters themselves know it or not, I think Akutami does not want to say that she is dead. When Kirara asks Choso about Sukumo, he doesn't say anything about her state, how she's doing, what's going on, is she dead? He doesn't say that. He just says that things are in a bad state and that Noritoshi is still alive. And then when we go over to Maki, she just says that Yuki lost. Yuki has been set up to be this opposite of Kenjaku for a long time. Even with the framing, we know that both of them had opposing views, so it seems like she should be a bigger deal than someone who's dealt with so quickly. Not to mention the fact that she's Toto's mentor and we haven't seen them interact at all since, I don't know, that flashback when he was a little boy. She's been traveling the world. She was the only one to predict what Kenjaku was planning to do with uh, utilizing cursed energy or selling the idea of cursed energy to foreign nations. Her technique was kept under wraps for a long time. She's been in the story since Gojo and Ghetto were teenagers and interacted with Ghetto during one of the most formative times of his life when he was at a incredibly depressed state. So I just feel like she's more important than someone who would just be taken out so quickly. Now there is one wild card character that everyone's been ignoring, and that is Fumihiko Takaba, the comedian who is literally half-naked. He has a curse technique so powerful that it could rival Gojo's. When he thinks of something he's certain will be funny, it becomes reality. But unfortunately, he is clueless of his own power, and so very little is actually known about this technique. I think that Takuba could be one of the most important characters in the Culling Games art. And with Angel down and Hana being someone who would never want to harm Megami, Maybe our comedian Takaba is going to be the one 
that frees Gojo from the prison realm. And you know what? I could see him thinking it's hilarious that the strongest man in the world is shoved into an itty-bitty living space. And he could think it was even funnier that a comedian could just open up the box. Heck, we might even have a Looney Tunes type of situation where he comes out like a, a jack-in-the-box or uh, he just opens him up like a present. It's, I, I want something wacky and fun like that to happen. Another thing we're not sure of is who is the Game Master? Some people think it might be Yorozu slash Sumiki, but we don't know for sure yet. Have we met them? I, I'm almost 100% sure that we already met the Game Master. I am so glad that things are really picking up with JJK, and it looks like it kind of has to because Akutami has stated that they want to wrap up the series by the end of this year. So many mysteries, so many loose threads, and I'm sure that we're going to have even more things introduced to the story. And this might be some of the best storytelling that we're going to enter. I, I honestly feel like we might be entering in something that rivals the Shibuya arc. Thank you so much for listening to the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a fun time recording it because I got to just ponder all these interesting things that have been introduced into the story. Make sure to follow me if you don't already so that we can keep experiencing this story and how it unfolds together. And believe me, I'm going to be talking more about the Chainsaw Man manga too because part two is revving up as well. I just wanted to dedicate a full episode to JJK since I haven't talked about it for a while now. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Bye.